Okay, so I have to make a correction for my previous Monster Squad uh, recording. Uh, I, I said that the little girl throws her teddy. It's a little uh, puppy dog, I think. Uh, for Frankie. is the name of Frankenstein. They call him Frankie, even though they know he's not Frankenstein. Um, and, uh, oh, what else was the other correction? Oh, I forget what else. Whatever else I said was wrong. Yeah, I figured it out. Uh, I mean, I just finished watching it again. Either way, you know, I was going off a memory of the show that I... <laughs> get this, it, it's been about 30 years. Maybe a little bit more than 30 years since I've seen this movie. And yet I remembered almost everything correctly. The one thing is uh, that I did, uh, that I wasn't sure about, that I saw is they don't kill all of the vampires. So that's one. And uh, two, apparently staking the vampires didn't actually kill them. You know, because they stake Dracula, but he still doesn't die. So I'm wondering if this Dracula incarnation is the incarnation where not only does he have to be staked in the heart to be paralyzed, he has to have his head cut off and Greenwood shoved, you know, rose, rose thorns or whatever shoved in his mouth and all that stuff then burned. Uh, or maybe even possibly bathed in sunlight to burn him up completely. But uh, I just want to make it some other observations. As I think I've only seen the movie twice before I saw it tonight. <laughs> and I remember it so vividly. Uh, well, you know what, maybe I did see it about 20 years ago, again. I don't know. Maybe it's like 10 years apart that I saw it. But the one thing that always struck me, the World War II concentration camp stamp on the quote-unquote scary old German guy. And it's a line in the movie that I never really, I'll never forget. Or they say, gee, mister, you sure know a lot about monsters. And he says, yes, I believe you can say that I do or something like, you know, maybe, maybe I'm screwing up the line, but he says, yes, I, you know, I do. And he was in a prison camp. I just thought that that was just a really nice way a really great way to build that guy's character, right? In just two sentences. You know, for all of the scary old German guy, you know, he's German, he's scary, he's looking at us. That's not character building. What's character building is, uh, you know, him inviting the kids in. Yeah, light, light character building. Um, him being happy to help the kids, him, him, you know, uh, he has a little model of a B-17 bomber. Uh, the B-17, for those who aren't familiar with World War II, the B-17 was basically the bomber that guaranteed Allied military supremacy in the air from a bombing standpoint. Obviously, from a fighting standpoint, you had multiple fighters leading up to the P-51 Mustang. 
and <laughs> I won't go into a history lesson right, you know, right now. P51 Mustang was right up there with the Messerschmitt and the Zero. And the aerodynamics of all three planes are almost identical. And they're almost identical to the point where all of the nations that had those three planes, the Japanese, the Germans, and the, and the U.S., believed that there were spies feeding information about the design of their planes to the other countries. When in reality, it was simply the fact that that was the peak of propeller-based aviation for fighting. Just as the Hercules-class bombers were the peak of large cargo ships. In fact, right now there's a huge problem. Congress may have to order Boeing to recreate the manufacturing uh, you know, machinery to resupply the U.S. government with Hercules-class bombers. You know, the because they, the, the machinery, the production lines, they were decommissioned and destroyed decades ago. But we're still using them because we, we bought enough planes and spare parts that now the planes and spare parts are running out. But there is no better airship. Boeing has tried. They thought that there would be, but that is at the peak of superiority. Well, before the Hercules bomber came out, the... Uh, the B-17 was it. So you see, what you see in that guy's apartment is a piece of story, you know, it's, it's a little piece of a larger story of this guy's life. And the final piece of that story is, you know, why, I guess, you know, his whole character of why he tries to show kindness and stuff, maybe the reason why he's not really interactive, but still wants to reach out and be kind to people, are the horrors that he experienced while in a prison camp. I don't know, I just, I just thought that that was a really uh, amazing way uh, for or intelligent way, I should say, amazing intelligent way to create a guy's character without saying, "I was in Auschwitz for five years from this to this," which is what a lot of modern writers do. They manage to convey it in a number of ways. Of course, you know, there's also something to be said for the radio way of writing, because there there are three types of writing silent movie way type of writing where everything is you don't have sound essentially to tell the story it's all pictorial the radio way of writing where it's all verbal and the then there's the mixture of verbal and visual and this was like the mixture although i believe in order for someone to get it who's blind or uh, they would have to be told through secondary audio with the concentration camp tattoo on his arm. He says, you know, they're thinking about it. He says this in response. I'm sure that's what is on the hearing impaired. I, I don't always listen to the secondary audio track for hearing impaired, but a lot of times that's what they do. So I don't know. Um, 
I don't think there's a wrong way or a right way as long as it keeps the story flowing. I know a lot of people say the wrong way is to, to tell and not show. You should show and not tell. That's all bullshit. Uh, <laughs> that, that line is used by people to try, you know, by teachers to say, don't use exposition all the time. But you can have radio drama way of writing where you have exposition balanced in a way that is uh, continuous with the story. And you can have, you know, there is such a thing as all show and no tell where showing a bunch of stuff that doesn't make sense to, to the audience viewer makes it as bad as having 100%, you know, uh, exposition. Then there's also a mixture way where people, I don't know, reiterate. It's, it's kind of like a redundancy, a really terrible redundancy. You know, like Anakin Skywalker narrating everything that he did in Phantom Menace. So when I say there's no right way or wrong way in that terms, that's what I mean. I mean, obviously there is a right way and wrong way, but it's not, you have to pick from one of the three. You could have any one of the three or all three of, all three of them involved in your storytelling. But the whole thing is you have to uh, you have to do it in a way where when people watch it or listen to it, it's not distracting from the story. And I wish that teachers would focus on that. So Monster Squad, a dream project for me would be to do a sequel to the Monster Squad. It would be super fun. I, I'm so disappointed they haven't done a sequel. It's probably the best. Uh, you see, I can't even, I can't even say it was Universal because it was TriStar. One second, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look something up. Yeah, I, I wanted to double check. Yeah, I, what I think is really, really funny about this movie, this movie was the Universal Monsters movie, done by. A film studio that has nothing to do with Universal Studios. It's like this is the one, one of the most amusing things about Monster Squad is that it's, it should be a Universal Pictures Monster Universe movie. It should be reviving Dracula, Universal Pictures Dracula, Universal Pictures Frankenstein's monster, right? Universal Pictures, or maybe it wasn't Universal Pictures, the Black Lagoon wasn't Universal. Um, and then The Mummy, I believe The Mummy was Universal, I might be wrong, I'd have to look it up. And uh, The Wolfman, right? It, it, this, this is like, it's so, it's... Just from a production standpoint, from a viewer standpoint, you would think that this was a revival of the Universal Pictures, our studios, monster universe characters, and yet it has nothing to do with Universal Pictures. So, I don't know. Uh, Columbia, it's, it's a subsidiary of Columbia. Maybe it was spun off when Sony bought TriStar in Columbia. Um... TriStar is still doing some pictures, you know, all under the Sony brand. Sony's got a lot of value in IPs like this. And it's just, 
disappointing, dissatisfying, sad, you know, that we don't have more sequels to it. I mean, Dracula murders. He, mur he murders more people in this movie than I believe any other Dracula movie out there. Except for maybe Bram Stoker's Dracula. I mean, is Bram Stoker's the one where he goes around killing no that's not Bam Stoker's that was a that was another one that just came out where he's like a general in an army and he like intentionally turns himself to Dracula in order to protect his family and his people right um I think that movie is the only movie that has Dracula actually doing or committing more murder than any than any other movie but up until that movie, and, and everybody hated that movie, up until that movie, whatever, whatever the other movie was called, the Monster Squad had the most murderous Dracula. And so he kills more people on screen than any other Dracula. And at the beginning of the movie, you see a bunch of corpses, all of them his victims. And you see a bunch of vampire bats hanging from the belfry dozens dozens well by that body count alone if you add it all up he he's he's a total complete monster oh my god i just i don't know see that's i, I honestly think that this is probably the best universal pictures monster film to have ever been made, and it wasn't made by Universal Pictures. I, I, I can't sing the praises of it enough. And I don't know. Maybe if you if you guys if you guys see it now and you think, oh, it's two eighties, I get it. But I don't think it's two eighties. I actually think it's well written, written, well produced. I mean, there are some eighties things. But not too many. Um, God, what I wouldn't give to write a sequel for it. I mean, it, it's a movie that holds nothing back, right? It, it really holds nothing back. The It doesn't get gratuitous. I mean, maybe you could argue it holds something back. But, I mean, from a cohesive movie standpoint, from a cohesive production standpoint, they don't need to show a bunch of blood and gore. So they don't. When I refer to not holding anything back, what I'm referring to is uh, something that they have to show and they hold it back. I think it has a perfect balance of showing what they need to show so they don't hold back on anything they need to show. If they don't need to show it, they focus on other things that are more important such as the older kid who is really the backbone. I mean, all the kids have some major part in the Monster Squad Club, right? And the older kid who's a biker, uh, the badass, he knows how to take care of business, and he starts preparing the group on the combat side, even lifting some poor kid's uh, archery set, which, you know, it's one of those things where, dude, I don't approve, but... You're fighting vampires. Uh, maybe you should return that archery set at the end of the movie. Maybe he actually does. We don't see it. I'm hoping that he does. 
because uh, he's a hero, right? I'm, that's my head canon is that he returns the archery set. Um, you know, with an apology of, hey, I just fought the vampires in Town Hall. Sorry, you wouldn't believe me. I had to grab an archery set here, official archery set that killed a couple vampires, or, you know, maybe so we thought. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's get to... No, I don't want to have any spoilers. I mean, I think I said enough by saying the staking Dracula doesn't seem to kill him. Uh, that leads up to, that's part of the whole ending climactic scene. So I'm sorry if I spoiled that. Uh, there's much more that happens though. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, it came out 30 years ago. Uh, maybe you should, you know, not be too upset about the spoilers. Maybe you should go ahead and watch it. In fact, I know you should. So go ahead and watch it, will you? And, uh, Tell me this movie does not deserve a sequel. The actors are still acting. They're still around. It's for possibly Dun um, Duncan Regeer. I mean, uh, if he is still around, uh, I'd have to look that up. But uh, he'd be way too old. Um, anyway. So, I had to give a correction for Monster Squad. I had to properly... So, and yeah, I mean, the the scene where Frankenstein kicks the kicks Dracula's ass, you know, that is a badass scene. I mean, it's a really boy. Dracula is just unmitigated and unforgiving evil, unforgiving. just unforgiving and that's what makes him so good and yeah I, I might actually say he's probably the best classic Dracula portrayal I think Chris Sarandon is the best non-classic or modernized Dracula portrayal and uh, yeah I mean I'm saying he's better than Bela Lugosi Bela Lugosi was amazing as Dracula, just because he could carry so much with the weight of his voice, but you watch Bella Lugosi for Bella Lugosi. Um, I mean, anything that Bella Lugosi is in, even the terrible movies that people hate, I love watching him just because he's Bella Lugosi. And uh, it's a shame that he wasn't more respected in his lifetime. It was a shame, but uh, I think Regeer played the the most evil Dracula that had ever existed. I mean, he's he's got he's gotten sick of being thwarted by those meddling kids. So, yeah, Monster Squad two movie, really great ideas for it. Be really awesome. Anyway, you take care, everybody, and uh, if you haven't seen Monster Squad yet, go watch it and see what I'm talking about, why I think there should be a sequel, and I hope you have a wonderful evening. Take care.